Amen. Putting up with me. That helps me talking about the truth. What greater truth could there be than being redeemed of God? Amen. Wonderful. Say, well, I know that. Well, that's why we're in Second Peter. Right? To stir you up by the truth that's already present with you and that you're established in and putting you in remembrance of those things always, not being negligent to do that. And so, Brother Clint, quit talking about being redeemed. I'm tired of hearing about it. No, 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 not going to happen. I'm just going to keep reminding you, hey, you're going home and you're redeemed. Well, that doesn't help me. Well, I'm sorry. You're beyond help. Isn't that right? That's what Peter's going for. Peter's writing again in the book of 2 Peter, where we were this morning. We'll continue our thoughts where we left off and dealing with this great truth that we, matter of truth, and this matter of absolute truth, um, there is a truth that's beyond um, the subjective reasoning of the mind sitting in here tonight. There's a truth that transcends all time, and uh, there's an eternal, absolute truth that can be known. Isn't that right? And God revealed that to us in His book. And so we looked a little bit at that this morning, uh, talking about the truth, uh, the present truth that's with you now, that you're established in. Uh, he wanted to remind them in Second Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 12, I won't be negligent to put you always in remembrance. And so we talked about being awakened uh, by the facts. And then verse number 13, yeah, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And so... Uh, what we are looking for and uh, what we need to be uh, a lot often, we need to be stirred up, don't we? We get cold, we get indifferent, and uh, that word stir literally means to awaken, right? So we need to be awakened up out of our sleep. Uh, we go to sleep spiritually sometimes, and we need to be awakened and stirred by the truth. And uh, that's why we come to church. I don't know how some people are making it. I always worried about people. I've had a friend tell me, I don't know how many times, but I had a friend tell me just not long ago, uh, said, uh, my boy's gotten saved, and preacher, you can testify to this, they make a profession, they make, maybe make a profession there in jail uh, with you, and um, then they get out, and they don't ever seem to get grounded and established in a local church. That always bothers me. You're setting yourself up for failure not to be faithful to a local church. You're setting yourself up for failure. And I always wonder about that crowd, how they're ever going to maintain not being faithful to a local church. I always worry about that. Uh, say you got saved and you come out and, boy, God's changed me. I'm doing different now. And, and, but they don't ever seem to settle in anywhere. No church anywhere is good enough for them. And uh, they just don't ever get grounded anywhere into a, into a church anywhere. And they just float around. And, and I just wonder, how are you making it? Right? All kinds of excuses. Who would have, don't raise your hand, please. But who would have a pretty good excuse not to come tonight? I'd say if we took survey tonight, there'd be some pretty good excuses. Right? Well, one of them would be having to look at me again tonight. Wouldn't that not be a pretty good, no, don't you agree to that? Brother Reed, amen to that. 
Right? I mean, if we took survey in here tonight, there'd be a bunch of people that say, well, look, I got this going on, Brother Clint. I've worked hard all week. I don't get a little time with my family. You men and ladies are working. I mean, there is just, we could just go down the line at good excuses we could come up with not to be faithful to the house of God, right? Yeah. All of us have good excuses. And uh, as one person put it, a good excuse is no good excuse at all, right? If you've reasoned yourself into a good excuse not to be faithful, it's not a very good excuse, right? Yeah. But I, I'm not so much talking about that. I'm more talking about this crowd. They, they make a profession, and it seems like something happened to them, but they don't ever get grounded in church, and it's like they just float around, and then in, in three, four, five, six months, all of a sudden, they've gone back to the world, and you're, you're not really shocked by it. I knew they weren't going to make it because they, they wouldn't get grounded in a church. Uh, and, that, and that's the purpose. That's why we're here. And I say, well, preacher, why are you preaching me? I'm here tonight. Well, you got a good point. But uh, <laughs> preventive maintenance, I guess. But the point is, is what the um, uh, preacher mentioned about discipleship. It's not about just making a profession and then getting your get out of hell free card and then just ending up in heaven one day. And well, if, if I don't get rewards and so be it. I mean, the, uh, the obligation of the Bible is that we be doers of the word of God, right? That we grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. That the uh, Lord would grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him. God wants us growing, and if we're not growing, we're going backwards. We're dying, right? And we talked about that. And so his, 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 his point is to abound in fruit, abound in the knowledge, grow in what you've been taught, add virtue, add, add to your faith, all these things, and grow. And he, and he exhorts them as to why they should, not only is the expectation of your father, but he gives them good reasons and says, hey, when you get over there, God's not going to run righteous. Forget your work and labor of love, which is shown to his name. He's going to reward you one day with an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom. <laughs> well, that'd be enough. And I don't even know what it is. I'm afraid if he told us everything, you know, some of us would go quick. But so some things he just leaves. He, he doesn't give us everything. I mean, the Bible even says uh, that it's not been told, but he has a story for them that love him. There are some things out there I don't know all about, but I want to be a part of it, don't you? Because I love the Lord. I want to show him that. I want to, I want to give by. And so uh, he exhorts them, hey, uh, you're working. It's not in vain. Uh, it, it's not only going to help you here. It's not going to only help you in your Christian life. It's not going to help you in the temporal, but it's going to help you when you get over there, right? There's going to be rewards. There's going to be an abundant entrance. There's going to be a big future to look forward to. And then he goes on to exhort them. Not only that, he said, uh, and so I can, I know this is difficult because I'm asking you to grow in the middle of suffering. That's what he's doing. This first Peter not is completely surrounded by the fact that these are pilgrims and strangers in a foreign land that are suffering for the cause of Christ. And he's trying to keep, he's trying to tell them, hey, keep on keeping on. Don't give up. And then second Peter comes and says, hey, it's not just enough to make it. I want you to abound in fruit. I want you to be fruitful when people are persecuting you. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm doing all I can not to just quit. You're talking about adding virtue to my day. You've lost it, preacher. <laughs> But that's what he says. He says, look, God doesn't, his expectation for you is not to just end up, well, if you, as long as you don't end up in jail, right? His expectation as a father is that you grow and he comes and he looks for much fruit, right? And gives no excuse for the times. He doesn't say, sorry, Peter, I know you're involved in all this persecution. We talked about William Tyndall this morning. Sorry, Mr. Tyndall, all the persecution of your time and, and all that you've gone through. I'm sorry, there's no excuse for you. He, he, he makes, he, I mean, uh, he doesn't say, well, I feel sorry for you, so therefore you're excused of not being fruitful. He expects fruit in the midst of suffering. So we've got to get our eyes off ourselves, quit feeling sorry for ourselves because of the persecution and the suffering of the times and start looking to a bound in fruit for he is worthy to receive honor and glory and power and dominion. Jesus, the lamb's worthy of our labor, right? 
So he's trying to exhort them and say, okay, here's the expectation now. I want you to grow, and I want you to grow. I know you're suffering. I know it's difficult, and you're doing all you can not to just slap somebody. Amen? Somebody said something about slapping somebody. I was going to get amen out of them tonight. Well, it's usually me talking about that. So I know in the midst of this suffering, it's difficult. It's difficult to even think about abounding and adding and all these things that you're talking about here. But that's the expectation. I want more out of you. I, I, I don't want you to just make it. I don't want you to just get in by the skin of your teeth. I want you to abound in fruit. That's, that's the expectation that he lays upon them. And so he, he continues on and he said, uh, okay, for the reasons that obvious and then the reasons for the future. Uh, and then he starts stirring them up a little bit and he said, now... I'm going to spur you on to future growth by reminding you of what you already know. And so he talks about the present truth. And I want to stir you up to continue to grow. And there's nothing more helpful when you're suffering and you're going through trials and you're about that close to just saying, you know what, I'm not even sure it's worth it anymore. Now, I know none of you good Baptists have ever been there before. But if you haven't, just hang on. All in due time. Right? We've all been to a place where we think... <laughs> I don't know if I would get out of this or not without, right? We all come to that place. And so he said, look, I know you're going through all those things, and let me remind you of your future and what the possibilities that God has laid out before you to continue to grow in these suffering times. But not only that, I'm going to stir you up by reminding you things that you've already been grounded in. And so somebody says, I'm redeemed. And you think, oh, I know I'm redeemed. But it stirs you up, right? To think, because what all that included? Go back, to, go back and remember, don't be like the ones in the first part of the verse, forget their purse from their old sins. Go back and remember, God saved you out of a whole lot of mess. <laughs> Some of us, it's a miracle of God he even showed us any mercy. We deserve to go to hell three times over. <laughs> and God plucked you up out of the fire, established your feet, put you in a Bible church, loved you, forgave you for Christ's sake. Well, that don't mean a lot to me. Well, you just take a quick look back to the past and remember what you were before he got you. He didn't get a prize, right? So stir you up and think, you know what, you're right, Brother Clint. God's been too good for, to me. I'm not just, I am tired of letting people being tossed to and fro. This sister so-and-so's running mouth, brother so-and-so's running mouth, and I'm suffering, I'm not making it. I'm just, well, where did discipleship, where did God hide in the terms of discipleship that you were going to prosper in this life? In fact, he told you plainly that you will not. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. Is that not what he said? The son of man had nowhere. He drew a line in the sand and those that were following him just because their belly was full, he looked at his own disciples and said, will you go away too? Because some people seek me, not for me. They're seeking me. So they want to see what they can get out of me, right? He didn't hide the terms of discipleship. It was a crucified life, a life where you die to yourself and your body's bought with a price and that price was the blood of God himself. And so that you are not your own, right? And so you could say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. I don't, I don't like it often. I don't understand it often. And oftentimes I wouldn't do it that way. Nevertheless, Lord, thy will be done, right? And so... You start looking back and it, think, it makes you think, you know what? And you start looking back to those, the present true things you already know. It stirs you to keep on going, doesn't it? 
And so that's what he does then. And then he talks about, so he talked about abounding in fruit, being awakened by the facts, uh, excuse me, uh, the abundance for the future, being awakened by the facts. And then we get down through here in verse number 14, knowing shortly, shortly I put off this tabernacle even as the Lord has showed me. And he said, moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. And so we started looking at the authenticity and not the fables. Uh, he starts reminding them of some of these present truths. And man, it stirred my heart up just thinking about, you know what, all these years, we've not followed some, some wise do-gooder story, to, right? Some feel-good story that somebody came up with and tried to make you live right, right? This is the absolute truth. When everything else fails, that's not something that is beyond the mind and the ration and the reasoning of any person alive today. This is something eternally true, regardless of who believes it. This, I've got the truth. And he starts stirring them up in that. What you're following, what you give your life to, to follow this Bible and to follow the precepts and to remember his statutes and to keep his testimonies. You're not doing that in vain. You need to be stirred up and remember this. This isn't a fairy tale. Right? And he starts going into the most basic, the most foundational truth, which is you have to start at the basis that the King James Bible is the Word of God. You have to know where to find the truth. How are you going to grow without the truth? Apart from the truth, what are you going to know to add? How are you going to know you're even supposed to add it? How are you going to know anything that this God wants you to do to serve him if you don't know where to find what that God has to say to you? And there is a place you can find it, and it's in your local King James Bible. It doesn't need altered. It doesn't need fixed. It doesn't need anything done to it. He starts making an argument here for authenticity and not fables. And he begins with his own personal testimony. Now again, I understand that, that this man is under inspiration. I understand that. And I understand that this is God speaking, writing through this man. I understand that. But in its simplicity, look at this as a man that's writing to us. It's still a man writing it. His name's Peter. Right? And so think with me now, he's, he's, he's writing to this group of people, and he's under divine inspiration. How much of that he knows and how much he doesn't, I don't know. I think he knows it. And I think that's what he meant when he said, I will endeavor. That may after when I'm gone, you're going to have this in your remembrance because God's going to preserve his word for you. Right? And say, oh, I believe the absolute truth, absolutely. You take men out here that claim they know the truth and they believe the truth, and they say, yes, we believe in the infallible word of God. We believe in the absolute truth found in the originals. Well, hey, friend, sounds like me and you need to go on a hunt for the originals, right? If that's where the truth is. So God's telling you, obey the truth, but it's only in the originals. Nobody has them. Now that, I don't know about you, but that's a mean game to me. For God to tell you that you're supposed to do something and then hide, it's, it's like Calvinism to me, right? God commands all men everywhere to repent, but then he won't let them. That, that, that doesn't sound like God, does it? No. We believe in preservation of the Bible, right? Because these are foundational truths. But what you're holding in your hand isn't a fairy tale. So, well, I know that, preacher. Well, let's get reminded in it. 
What you have in your King James Bible is without error. It is absolutely perfectly true and it transcends all time and culture and it's true for everybody in every place at all times. Your King James Bible can be trusted when everybody else is found a liar. Why? Because it's forever settled in heaven. Right? Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away, and they will. He's going to strike a match to them one day and going to flood it. He's going to burn it all up, and he's going to make a new heaven, a new earth where it dwelleth righteousness. But he said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Hallelujah for the word of God. You've got to trust that what you've got sitting in your lap or sitting at home because you didn't care enough to bring it tonight or sitting wherever it is, uh, knock the dust off of it and get it out because out of all the lies you hear on CNN and NBC and NBSC and ABC and FHA and KLX, whoever else, whoo, I made some of those up, Tyler. I can see them there tonight. Where is KLX? All these liars that are out here, all these politicians pushing their agendas, every single one of them, at the end of the day, they're found to be liars. Where are you going to find the truth at? You ain't going to find it on the TV, right? You get in this Bible, and you'll read something from the book of Proverbs, and he'll tell a young man, and he'll say, hey, watch out for that woman that's in the attire of a harlot, and that's true 2,000 years ago, and it's true today. Forty different authors, three different continents over 2,000 years, all saying the same thing in a Bible that uses a 6,000-word vocabulary. Shakespeare used 21,000 words in his writings. This King James Bible contains a vocabulary of 6,000 words, and it never contradicts itself. I can't send my wife one text message that she don't misunderstand or that I don't. And you're going to think, men initiated this? You're crazy. <laughs> you can't, hey, you can take a text message, and I can show it. There'd be 10 different opinions in here of what that thing meant. And it'd say the same thing. That's why we have a Bible that's not opinions. It's not, it's not, see, uh, when they translated this Bible, men didn't sit down and look at the Greek and the Hebrew and say, how do they faithfully uh, give the opinion of what that writer meant? They just translated it. You don't hold a commentary in your hand. You don't have the opinion of some Greek authority telling you what they think that the Greek meant or what the writer meant in the originals. You have a faithful translation that's as faithful to the sacred text as difficult and not making it any simpler than it was in the original to the original audience. Faithfully just translating the text. Not mixed in with the opinions of anybody. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, you're going to be struggling as a Christian for the rest of your life. Because I have to ask you, where is your truth at? Well, I just know it. Well, who gets to determine that? Right? Come on now. If you, if you believe uh, that and, and the authority is only in the originals, which Jesus didn't even have. When he took the book of Isaiah, Jesus was holding copies of copies. He didn't have the originals either. Moses lost the originals. God wrote them. First case of preservation you ever see in the Bible. God preserved his word. Wonderful. You believe what I'm saying, Cody? That Bible's the Word of God. It's not the opinion of what the King James translators thought that it meant, and it didn't accurately reflect the language of the time. People say, well, the King James Bible needs to be updated to reflect the current language. It doesn't, currently, it doesn't reflect the language that it was written in in 1611. 
the language, the, 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 uh, the second person, the, the singular and the plural, uh, and, the, and the second person pronoun, the singular and the plural that is kept in our King James Bible, and that Elizabethan, that thee, thou, thine, ye, you, yours, was not, ran out of date in the 1500s. It was long out of date before 1611. They didn't keep that to accurately reflect the people of the time. In fact, Dr. A.T. Robertson, Tyler, Dr. A.T. Robertson said, he said that nobody has ever spoken our authorized version, the language, the English language of our authorized version. They don't speak it now and they never have. Men were trying to accurately reflect the, the original text and you can only do that. Our language has dropped the distinguishing factor between the singular and the plural. Right? And so in order to accurately reflect the Hebrew and the Greek text, they had to maintain uh, the distinction in the singular and the plural and the second person. They had to retain the thee, thine, those, which are all singular, and then the ye, you, yours, all that yorn. Now, yorn ain't in there. If it is, please come see me later. You got a bad one. That's the plural. If it starts with a Y, it's plural. Right? Then you have the possessive. But you have the, 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 uh, 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 in the in, and to accurately reflect the text, they kept the language so that they could accurately reflect the text, not simplify it for the language of the people that spoke it in the day. So that doesn't need to be done now. Because if you try to say, well, the language needs to be updated today to reflect, well, I'm fine with that so long as you can properly reflect exactly what was meant then and you can properly reflect it now. The reason it's written, the reason it's written in the way that it is is so that it can accurately reflect the original text and not be subjective to the opinions of anybody, just accurately translating from one text to another, from one language to another. And they had to keep those in there. You say, well, that's not important. You don't think that's important? What about when Jesus said this? And I've got it written down, and my memory's going to run dry on me. Uh, what about this? Uh, when Jesus told, uh, there's two. I'll have to go to my notes to get the one from Exodus. Uh, but uh, in John, when Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. He said, marvel not that I say unto thee that you must be born again. Let's look at the text. Let's look at that. If, you, if I just operate off spout in my mouth, uh, you won't get it. Let me see if I can find in this scribble. Uh, turn, turn to John 3, 7. Uh, so this is very important. So why is it important? It's important because we've got to know where the Word of God is today. Do you believe that? So why just everybody's opinion, it's all it doesn't really matter, and just we, we've only got the truth in the originals, and everybody's just trying to do their best to fit in. Well, who gets to decide? Who's the authority? Who gets to decide what's Scripture and what's not? You see, you see, what I'm, you see the conundrum we could fall into. But you feel like this should go here, and I feel like it shouldn't, and man, we're in a mess. There has to be a, an outside authority that can be the ultimate objective Word of God that is not mixed with the opinions of anybody that is we can turn to and say, well, let's look and see what the Word of God says. So well, I'm already convinced in that. Well, it ought to stir you up tonight because you've not followed a, whiningly, a, a, a cunningly devised fable. You are following the truth and you've got the truth tonight. You're holding in your hands things that men fall and bled and died for. That the, that the preservation of these scriptures was worth more than their own life. Right? Some men viewed it in the Bible like this. They said, thy word uh, is better to me than gold, yea, than fine gold. More than honey and the honeycombs, how much did they love to? 
Wonder how much we read it in a week. We've come a long way, haven't we, from what the original, uh, what our forefathers bled and died for. It was, the Word of God was more important than their own life. Everything in life is more important to us than the Word of God. Isn't it? You won't make it spiritually with that kind of thing going on in your life, will you? You'll dry up. So that's why it all stir us up. We need to be reminded, hey, we've got the truth, and look at what the truth says. So in order to accurately reflect those scriptures, in order to accurately translate and bring you your King James Bible, the authorized version in the English language for English-speaking people, the Word of God. In order to do that and give you the Word of God, they weren't trying to make it so you could easily understand it. They weren't trying to reflect a certain language and try to uh, uh, be easier understood by the people around them. It was simply trying to accurately and faithfully translate the original text and make it say the same thing across the board. Right? Well, that's not important. I know we know this, but this is important that we get reminded sometimes. Look at what's said here. Let's see. I, got, I don't have to turn my notes now. Uh, I've got it written in here. Uh, let's look at the verse here. Okay. So he said in John chapter number 3 and verse number 7, Marvel not that I say unto thee. Now, there we've got the singular here, right? We've got the singular, and uh, 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 this uh, second uh, person in this, in this uh, pronoun here, you've got the singular, you've got the thee. Then what, what do you have next? Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Why is that important? Well, it's important because if you look at modern translations, they have it just simplified for you. What it'll say here is you. So you could get the idea. Now, here's what we know. Here's what we know. Uh, marvel not that I say unto thee, which I'm guessing is a subject. Marvel not that I say unto thee, singular. Who's he talking to? Nicodemus? Marvel not that I say unto thee, Nicodemus, that ye. And then he goes and he uses a plural. So what's the text saying? The text is saying, not just you, Nicodemus, everybody's got to be born again. Now that's quite different to come along if it said, marvel not that I say unto you, or don't misunderstand me, or however they're going to say it. I don't know what the, the NIV and some of the other uh, uh, um, critical texts have it translated. But, it, but it, they're paraphrasing here. They'll say something like, because they drop the thee, thou, thine, and the ye, you, yours, and they just go with you, and they'll simplify it. And they'll say, marvel not that I say unto you, Hunter, that you must be born again. Well, Cody's sitting there going, Phew, I don't have to be, thank goodness. Right? Is that how you could take that text? So to accurately reflect that, they had to keep uh, this, this, uh, uh, this second person, the singer in the plural, had to be kept somehow because our kerning legs had dropped that. But in this time, they have this. And so now it says this. Marvel not that I say unto thee, Nicodemus, that ye, plural, everybody must be born again, including you, my friend. Right? Now that totally changes what God said if you change one of those words. Right? So we understand that to be important, and we've got to keep on fighting that point. I'm not going to give up today because it's 2020. I'm not giving up. The King James Bible is still the Word of God, and all the rest of them are commentaries. They're counterfeits. The Word of God in the English language is here and only here. Now, I don't care whose family it gets in, right? <laughs> this is just where the truth is, right? The same thing happens in Exodus. I, let's not go there. 
But the same thing happens. It's the same type in the Hebrew. Uh, uh, he'll go in there and he'll say, uh, when he, like when he was talking to, to Moses, um, uh, he basically, if, if you understood it in the new versions and they take out uh, those singular and plural and those distinctions there, if they took all that out, you would, you, you would come to an understanding that he said, only you, Moses, go. But actually in the text, we won't go there because I've been here enough. Uh, but actually in the text it says, you go to Aaron and tell Aaron, and I'm going to tell both of ye, both of you all, both of you, plural, what you shall do. Now, that's different than saying, go to, go to Aaron, and I'll tell you what to do, Hunter. That leaves Aaron out of it. But that's not what he said. He said, you go to Aaron, and then I'll tell, tell you what you and Aaron are going to do. That's different. Does that not say something different? Somebody's right, somebody's wrong. Right? It's very important. You can trust your King James Bible. You, any other Bible? I have no idea. I can't help you tonight. <laughs> this is the only one that I know uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt is the Word of God. It's simple, too, if you think about it. It's very simple in your Bible to know which one's the subject and object, which one that you use. They use very simple uh, understanding. You, you kids that have been in school, you understand the subject of a sentence is doing the acting and the object of a sentence is the one being acted upon. Raise your hand if you at least heard that somewhere down the road. Kind of do a half. Okay, I'll take a half. It's very simple stuff. It sounds super. It's not. It's very basic. Eighth to tenth grade English. Right? But it's, it, 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 is, it, is, it is important enough to maintain. And so uh, we have to understand, number one, because he's going to go on and make an argument for the Word of God. And I jumped ahead of myself a little bit. But he's going he's to make an argument that, okay, so here's, here's what we cover this morning. Let's go over it quickly. He said, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Right? And I saw the Lord transfigured. I saw him uh, changed from the glory that was in that come about. And mine eyes as an eyewitness, I saw God, Jesus, changed from the fashion of a man into something glorious. Right? I saw the glory. I saw him change. I saw him in his resurrection power. Right? And he said, that's what I was an eyewitness of. But then the, most, the, the thing that stood out the most is the voice that I heard. If you want to talk about glory, let me talk about what I heard. Can we look at one thing tonight? Because we got about five minutes left. And let's look at one thing about the Word of God. Okay, let's look it up. I'm not going to bother you. Psalm. Turn to the book of Psalm. I wish somebody could do some translating work tonight on my notes to me. I like that old song. I love the old Bible, the blessed old Bible, right? Okay, turn to the book of Psalms. Turn to Psalm 29. We're not going to look at all these. Let's just try to do it quickly. I was going to look at all these with you, but look at Psalm 29. Most of you know these. But I'm trying to get a picture here of what, what, what is Peter trying to say to them. So he says, he exhorts them, talking about being fruitful. He talks about, you know, the future that they could have. And he talks about how it'll stir them up to be uh, stirred up and reminded of the present truth that is with them. And he said, look, I want to remind you that you've not followed some fairy tale. I want to remind you that you have followed the literal very words of God. It is the truth. And I'm going to tell you why it's the truth. Because I saw it with my own eyes. A real man with real friends saw a real man transfigured in a real place and heard a real voice. Right? You don't get any better eyewitness in a courtroom statement than that, would you? Three people gathered up and say, I saw it with my eyes. I heard it happen. We were at this place. And they can nail down the details and it all match up. Hey, he's guilty. <laughs> That's enough to try him without any evidence. 
And here you got a man that said, listen, I want to tell you, you can trust, I'm telling you, I want to encourage you, keep abounding in the faith, keep adding to your faith, don't die, don't get cold, don't get indifferent, keep on for the work of God, and because you've not followed fairy tales, this isn't a made-up story, this is the literal truth, this is the absolute truth, and you'll find it nowhere else on planet Earth. I saw it with my eye. I told you of the power and the coming of the Lord when I told you about how we saw His majesty. And then I heard a voice from the most excellent glory, and here's what it said, this is is my beloved son. And that voice that he heard was so powerful. And I alluded to this this morning. But let's just read a couple of these in Psalm 29. I want to skip these. The, verse number three. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of the glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. Love to go into that. The, the voice of the Lord divideth the flames of the of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calf and discovereth the forest. And his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. Now what's this say? This is talking about the power of the word of God. When God opens his mouth, lightning falls from heaven, hailstones and fire. This is the power of the word of God. And he said that powerful voice that, I, that, 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 that created and the powerful voice that's able to kill and make alive and, and resurrect from the dead, that powerful voice, that word of God has been recorded for you and preserved for you in the Holy Scriptures. Now that's where he's going. But he's saying, here's what he's saying. He's, he's, he's dying to himself. Look, he says, I saw it. I was an eyewitness. I was there. I heard the voice say this. And that voice that I heard, here's what happened. And I've testified that unto you. But there's coming a day where you're going to have something. Listen, you're going to have a more sure word of prophecy beyond any vision. Don't just believe me because I say so. Now, understand he's under inspiration here. This is God speaking to us. But in my mind, that's how I, that's how I see it. He said, look, I've told you what I've been a witness to. I've told you the story. I've told you the facts of all that I know. But there's a more sure word of prophecy coming. There is something more sure to stand on than if God spoke out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son and you heard it. There's something more sure than that and you're holding it in your lap. <laughs> the Joe Bryant thing, he does that little skip. I gotta get that skip now. Brother Clint, you're saying to me, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. More sure to stand on by faith than hearing God open heaven and him open his mouth. As these scriptures, that's how much I believe this Bible's true. Now, it's no different, right? But you've got something more sure. See, I always worry about people. Here's what they'll say. Has anybody ever told you this? I know of one fella right now, and I love him dearly, but he's caught up in that tongue movement. And uh, he said, listen, and I give him scriptures, he'll say, I know what the Bible said, but you weren't there and you don't know what I experienced. I thought, your experience don't trump the Bible, right? Hey, you can have all kinds of experiences. Before I got saved, I had tons of experiences, and it ain't funny. A lot of out-of-body experiences. <laughs> but it wasn't God, right? Your experience doesn't trump the Bible. Well, I saw a vision. I was a little boy, and I got caught up into heaven. 
And then I came back and I wrote a book and heaven is real. I already read a book that said heaven was real. I didn't need a little boy. I'm trying to hurt the little boy, but that's crazy. You've got a book that trumps anybody's vision, anybody's hearing that they say that they heard. There is something more sure. I'm not here to ask Peter. I mean, Peter's not here to me to ask him, right? I'm taking his word for it. This has been accurately translated. I'm no Greek scholar, right? I've studied the best that I could to just study the English. <laughs> that ain't too good. But Peter's not here. So for, me, for him to tell me, hey, Brother Clint, I want to reassure you now. I'm telling you, I heard his voice. It's real. He's not here to do that, is he? Now, that'd be wonderful. I'd love to hear what he had to say in person. But I've got it right here, and I trust it just like he was standing here tonight. I believe the earth was without form and void. I believe it. And I believe God spoke everything to existence. I believe it was a literal flood. I believe there was literal seven days, 24-hour days in the creation. I don't believe there was a gap. I don't believe in none of that stuff. I just believe the plain old Bible, just exactly like it said. Right? And boy, it'll help you in your Christian life to just accept that this is the truth no matter what. So I don't understand it. God will help you to understand it. This, see, some of this stuff is purposely built in so that you will come to a place where the Bible said you'll study the Scriptures. Show yourself approved to God. Study, rightly divine the word of truth. Some of this stuff is built in. It's a little difficult. There's only about 200 words. Um, I forget the, the company that came out with a, uh, and they said, I think somewhere near 600. But it's really been shown there's only about 200 words that are outdated now that we don't often use. Say like, um, uh, we're waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies. We don't use the word to wit anymore, right? So we don't really know. So you just kind of get you a dictionary, a Webster's 1828 dictionary, and it'll say to know. We're just waiting to know the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for the adoption to come about. It's, it's happening. It's just not happened yet, right? I'm going to get a new body. There's only, only maybe 200 different words in there that maybe give or take and some things that you may not understand. This book is not difficult to understand if you're saved. And God loved you so much, he preserved it for you. He wanted you to know everything, everything he said and everything he meant without having to worry about if some man got in the middle and messed it all up. Because I don't trust people. Hey, how many people? I don't even trust doctors. They say, well, I'm Dr. So-and-so. I don't mean nothing to me. And I about cringe anymore when somebody does to come work for me and they say I'm a Christian. I think, oh, me. Oh. I hate to say that. That's about embarrassing to say. But a lot of times, Brother Reed, when they come to do some work for you or something, they say, oh, I'm a Christian. Boy, we love church. We just love the Bible. Get ready. You're about to get taken for a ride. Now, that ain't across the board, but y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't trust anybody anymore. So I certainly don't trust men I never met. I trust God because when you, did, when you come down through the line of everything else and you've rationed and you've reasoned and you've come down to the plain old fact, the only, th only thing that can possibly tr be true is this King James Bible. That's the only thing, that's the only place you'll find truth. You young people, if you go to college, God help you. I pray you do. I think you ought to get all the education you get. But don't let some teacher reason with you and tell you that you can't trust that old, it's that old archaic language. It's so out of date. That's not archaic language. It's, 
they had to keep those things, right? I think I've proved that. I mean, you had to, to faithfully, I want them to act, I want my book, this book, to accurately represent what was originally said in men. I want it to represent it exactly. I'll do the study and figure it out. I don't want you to give me a commentation on it, right? I just want to know what it said, and then I'll pray and ask God to help me to understand it, right? I don't need your opinion about it. And then you can go home sometimes, and I preach, I'll give my opinion on the matter, and you know what you can do? You can go home, take your own King James Bible, and figure it out for yourself. Hey, you young people, you've got a great resource, all of us now, but I just, you young people on my heart. Because I'm going to tell you why some of you young people ain't got the joy in your life you ought to, because you've neglected the, the, the reading and the studying of this Word. This is the only place you're going to find truth. And if you're saved, the truth is the only thing that's going to satisfy you and help you. You know why you're unhappy? Because you're not satisfied with everything else. You can't be. You're a new creature. You're, you're made because you're made in the image of God, yes, in the reading of Christ, but then you're reborn and you literally have God indwelling in your body and the only thing that, will, uh, that you can hear and the, uh, that you can worship in in the communion of your spirit is in the truth, right? For he seeketh such to worship him in spirit and... Right. I think we might dive in more. We can't tonight, but we may dive in more to some of this. There's so many more. If we went to uh, Psalm 46, if you went to Psalm 18, Ezekiel 1, uh, Ezekiel 10, Jeremiah 10, uh, John 12 talks about the thunder. Jeremiah 10 talks about the lightning of his word and the power in his word. And he gets down uh, in verse number 19 and deals with the authority that is flawless. So we, we looked at the uh, authenticity and not fables. And since we didn't get there tonight and we're going home, uh, let's at least read uh, this verse here. Uh, so for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. See that? Real place, real people, real voice. This isn't a fairy tale. I was an eyewitness. Now look at verse 19. We, also, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well, ye. Hey, isn't that important again? One of you young people tell me, is ye singular or plural? Oh, that's not good. I'm going to be one of you. Is it singular or plural? Huh? Yeah, it's plural. So ye, he's talking to everybody when you see that, Right? So ye have a more sure where you do good, or you take heed. So we'll look into that. We can't do it tonight. So this is wonderful, Brother Clint. I believe everything you're saying. The King James Bible is the Word of God. Well, that's great, but it ain't enough to know that and confess it. And it ain't enough to sit in a church that believes it. Somebody say amen to that. We'll deceive ourselves to just say, because I know too many people that just sit there, and I'm not saying you have to study all that out and figure out why and all that. If you want to just simply accept, well, this Bible worked for my grandfather and revived our nation and revivals, and I'm just going to believe, and I, that's fine. I'm okay with that. And just accept this is the truth and all that. That's wonderful. But it's not enough to know that. It's not enough to say you believe it. And it's not enough to even confess it or be in a church that believes it. You've got to take heed to it. Right? And that's where we have a lot of the trouble. So we had to look at that. Stand to your feet. We had to look at that. We won't have an altar call tonight. We won't have an altar call tonight. But um, 
I will say this, we have to cover some of that, we have to deal with the truth, because maybe there's some in here who may not know that, but um, most of our problem is not accepting what to be absolutely true. Most people in here believe the King James Bible's the truth, right? We believe that. And it's not that we need help with that. What we have trouble with, or what I have trouble with, is taking heed to that, right? Take heed to that word that we believe to be absolutely true.